What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the bestseller experiment where we continue to discover what makes a best-selling novel and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark Stay. And a big thank you, as always, to our patrons and academics and everyone who listens to this podcast and keeps us going. And we have some new patrons to pipe on board. So be standing, ladies and gentlemen, for Ali Dent, for Annika Jacklund and Denise Ganley. We salute you all and all of these people who keep the good ship bestseller experiment floating on the ocean waves of literature and podcast. <laughs> I've run out of metaphors. It's hot here yesterday. It, I heard it's hot. I heard it's hot. I'd like to also welcome as well all of our lovely new academates who have joined. Thank you so much to all of you that um, put your applications in for the end of September. And if you missed out, fear not. There are a few spaces for October available now, but you have to get over and apply academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. So, Mr. Stay, tell me about this heat. I just was chatting with my mum, actually, weirdly enough, before this podcast, and she said, oh, my gosh, we're melting, or I'm glad the heat's dying down. Is it starting to starting to kind of shift a bit? Um, No, it's hot. No, actually, really? Well, uh, yeah, it's hot, hot, hot. You know, what kind of temperatures have you got? Well, you get uh, people in Australia and certain parts of America are just going to laugh at us now. But it's like, oh man, it's like twenty-eight degrees. Twenty-eight. Oh, I know. Oh, <laughs> blimey, Mister Stay, you should have been someone, over when it someone was listening 40- in. Death Valley going, what? But yeah, someone like like reaching for that last oasis and, and they're like, 28? Come on. 28, come That's on. cold. Well, we've actually, in Canada, the kids went back to school today. It's a very exciting. I dropped my daughter off at university and my other mm. two have gone back to school today. And it's a proper English September morning over here in the West Coast of Canada. It was like a bit drizzly, chilly. Remember Lovely. those chilly mornings in That's September? Yeah, yeah, layers wearing What's layers. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. Good or stuff. maybe you're going to get tropical mm. winter. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> It's but, almost as if the climate is changing. Well, it, uh, who, who knows? <laughs> who knows? But uh, tell me about your week because you, you've you mentioned something about a record screenplay that you've done. <laughs> I'm curious. Well, I've I've uh, I've been working on rewrites of someone else's screenplay, uh, and I. Got, I basically did a page one rewrite. So, but so all the world building in, uh, uh, and the ideas were done, um, but it needed uh, needed a bit of a, a refresh. So, a uh, director came to me and said, uh, "Do you want to give this a go?" And I managed the first draft in two and a half weeks, which is a world record two for me. Two and a half weeks. That's so, yeah, bonkers. Yeah, yeah. And wow. I've got to say, it's in pretty good shape as well. So, um, but that's because a lot of the heavy lifting had been done by the previous screenwriter, well, who will, say, of course, retain a credit. You know, yeah, so that's, that sounds uh, yeah, like a yeah. quite a nice gig to get, actually, because it's a bit like <laughs> it's a bit like doing a cover version, right? There's a lot of structure already in place, um, but there's probably it's, 
it's like being uh, a, a um, uh, oh, I forgot what they call it when an actor stands in for another actor. You know, the actor gets a lurgy and another actor steps yeah. in. So it can yeah, be yeah. a little bit like that, you know. But um, it's been really, really good fun. And then for the next couple of days, um, John and I, the director, we have we do what we call a collabo read, and we've done this in all our films where we sit down, we make the script as big as it can be on the screen, and we read it line by line. Uh, in particular, the dialogue, just to make sure that every line sort of snaps and crackles and earns yeah. its place in the screenplay. And that's good fun because we shut that the door and put like on silly accents. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. That laugh. sounds like you can just yeah. you can just have a lot of play with that, and it's probably easier to do that with a book with someone like uh, sorry with a screenplay with someone like John than it would be say to do it with a three four hundred page book. I guess that's a that's a lot. Yes, of although although slight segue to our special guest, well, we're going to talk about audio and multiple voices and that sort of thing later on. Mm. So stay tuned if you're interested Absolutely. in that. Absolutely. It's almost like we plan this, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it actually talking <laughs> of our special guest this week, we're going to dive straight in because I think there's mm. so much to cover at the other side. We better get rocking and rolling. So tell us about our amazing guest this week, Sarah Denzel. Sarah Denzel is a million copy bestselling author of psychological suspense novels. Her books include the number one bestseller, Silent Child. And she was talking to me about Stolen Girl, which is the hotly anticipated sequel to Silent Child. Uh, and now here's the thing. Silent Child was Audible's thriller of the year. Uh, 2017 and was a massive success with audiobook fans. And so we've got another audiobook here, but it's got a an all-star cast. So it's not just one narrator. We've got Joanne Froggett, who people will know from Downton Abbey, Rosalie Craig uh, from Company in the Queen's Gambit, and Garen Howell, who's in 1917. Uh, so Sarah and I, we discuss we discuss audiobooks, we discuss writing sequels, we we discuss what people really mean when they say you want your they want your characters to be more likable. And her cat almost makes a cameo. One day we're going to get an author, an author's pet on the show. I, this is one of my ambitions. <laughs> totally. Like, yes. <laughs> I love it. Chat. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Well, and if you are fascinated with audio, you must, must listen to this interview. Absolutely brilliant story. So let's have a listen in on Mark chatting with the wonderful Sarah Denzel. Sarah Denzel, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? Thank you. I'm good. Thank you. Uh, yeah, pretty hot. <laughs> It is, it is a scorcher. It is a scorcher. There's one thing we Brits do is we complain it's... when it rains too much and we complain when it's too hot. And we're definitely in the too hot zone at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I've got my window open, so hopefully it won't be too noisy. I've got mine open too. I've already been invaded by a giant moth this morning, so Lord <laughs> only knows what else is going to fly through the window. But we're not here to talk about that. We are here to talk about uh, Stolen Girl, the hotly anticipated sequel to your, your book Silent Child. And you've... Sarah, you've had massive success with paperbacks, ebooks, hardcovers, but Stolen Girl, I think like Silent Child before it, is an audio first, is exclusive to Audi Audible. Why go down the audio first route? Yeah, well, actually, um, Silent Child was an ebook first um, before audio, but um, Audible really loved the book and they just wanted to champion it, which was so great. Um, so when I started to think about a sequel, um, Audible just happened to get in touch at some sort of time and we were talking about it um, and how great it would be for the audiobook to exist on its own for a short period of time before the ebook and the paperbook came out. Um, I think it's just, it's quite an emotional story uh, from Silent Child and into the sequel as well, that it just 
it just works well as an audiobook, especially when you've got such a great actress narrating it, like Joanne Froggart, who just gives her all to every single scene. Um, but it just works really well. Are you are you an audiobook fan yourself? Do you listen to a lot of audiobooks? Uh, to be honest, I kind of struggle with audiobooks a little bit. I think I'm the kind of person who struggles to listen to people talk for a long period of time because I'm I'm quite introverted. So I like I like the quiet and I don't process information through listening as well as I do through reading. But I've found that um nonfiction books are much easier for me on audio. And also I really love listening to um diary sort of style books. Like uh, the first fiction book, well, it's one of my favourite books of all time anyway, but the first audio book that I really loved was Dracula because it has those diary extracts. Mm. And it's like the narrator is just reading the diary to you and it's really cool. So I've been listening to all the Adrian Mole books (laughs) over the last couple of months, which I read as a teenager and I didn't really finish the series and it's just been so much fun to listen to them. I'm exactly the same, actually. I can struggle with fiction and audio because I tend to have voices in my head. That doesn't sound too weird. Yeah. Um, whereas, <laughs> whereas I think with nonfiction, the only way I can get it to sink in is through audio because I, that that just mm. seems to be how I take nonfiction in. But it's yeah. it's um it's a fascinating fascinating process. And as you say, when you have someone of the caliber of Joan Froggart reading your works, it's um it does elevate it to another level. Do, do you find having? I think she's she's read quite a few of your audio books, hasn't she? Do, do, do you find that uh, having someone else's voice read your stuff, does that influence your writing at all? Do you start hearing Joanne's voice when you're writing these characters? That's a really interesting question. I hadn't really thought about that. I think I did when I was uh, writing the sequel. I did start to picture her acting it as, <laughs> as if it was a TV series. And then it became like um, Emma couldn't be anyone else, <laughs> which is very strange. Um, but before then, uh, no, I don't think I did. But the, funnily enough, when Audible were casting Silent Child, they said they wanted to try and find uh, someone who'd worked on TV. And I didn't really want to presume too much about who they were thinking of casting. So I didn't want to start saying actors' names who they would never be able to get. But I actually thought of Joanne first. She was the person I thought of first, but I didn't tell them. And they cast her, so we we're on the wow. same page there. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. That is amazing. Did you <laughs> did did you get involved in the process at all? Were you able to go to the audio audible studios and see it being recorded, or do you prefer to let them get on with it? No, I didn't actually make it. Um, they originally had a time date that they were going to record the books, and it was very close to my wedding, so. I decided that it would be a bit too stressful to travel down to London and then come back. And then they ended up uh, rescheduling that day. And then it happened uh, a few months after. And it kind of, I think things moved so fast that they'd already recorded it by the time I found out. So I didn't get a chance to go and meet her, unfortunately. (laughs) And then uh, the recording for this one was in lockdown. So Mm. I couldn't, I couldn't go. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if you have if you ever get a chance, do do it because it is it is absolutely fascinating. It's um it's it's a brilliant brilliant process, and uh, it does it does make you like you like you said because uh, 
my audiobook is read by Candida Gubbins. And um, once I started hearing her voice, certainly writing the next book in the series, you do start hearing not just her voice, but the intonation, the phraseology and everything. It's it does it does sort yeah. of get into get into your head. Um Stolen Girl is a sequel. Uh, to a story that where it felt like it had all kind of been wrapped up. Uh, so, were there challenges in writing a second book in in this in this series? Definitely, yeah. I think I always find it a challenge to write a sequel, even books that I've decided is going to be a series. I've never been the kind of person who plots out an entire series. I know some writers can do it for like ten books; they plot out the entire series and they know exactly what they're doing. And I've just never been able to do that. So I sort of skim read through the first book and I'd already had a, an idea of one very small thread that was loose in Silent Child that I could then work on in the second book. Um, but then the characters came back so quickly that I was really surprised to get back into their heads. I thought that was going to be the hardest bit and it was actually the easiest. Mm, wonderful stuff. Um Let's talk about your career, because as I understand it, it all started with you sort of noodling notes on post-it notes at work. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, well, I've worked in admin for quite a while. I've sort of floundered a bit after university. Um, I studied psychology at university, which I think plays into the book writing quite a lot. Mm. And I, the only thing I knew was that I didn't want to uh, do any more studying in psychology I was completely done <laughs> with studying and I didn't really know what to do. So I just went into temping. I was working in offices and there's nothing creative about working in, in an office. And that's fine if, you know, you don't have a creative um, side to you or if you can find other ways to um, get satisfaction from other kinds of creativity so I just I used to find that I was just kind of doodling on post-it notes just to do something, anything that was <laughs> creative at the same time. Um, and then I always used to love writing stories, even as a child. Um, and during my university years, I did a few short stories. I started at home just writing a few short stories um, sending them off to publishers. Uh, can you hear my cat meowing, by the way? We love pets. Cool? We love pets. Any pets at all, that's fine. Bring <laughs> bring the cat on the show. That's fine. We have no problem with that. We tried to get a swearing in. parrot on here once, but the owner wouldn't allow us. So um, <laughs> the, the cat problem is, fine. is he, he, goes, he goes mental when I um, talk to, to a screen and he just comes up and starts attacking me, so I can't let him in. <laughs> but as long as... It's not too distracting. That's that fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you were talking about writing short stories and, and yeah. finding a creative outlet. Yeah. Um, so I first started writing uh, science fiction and fantasy short stories. And I sent a few off to some publications. And to my surprise, they actually got accepted to these publications. So I was like, that shocked me, I think. I don't think... <laughs> I don't think I really thought anything more about it. I was just writing these stories. And that was when I decided to try and write an actual entire book, um, which had always felt like such a huge, a huge achievement that I would never be able to do. And 
somehow did it. <laughs> fantastic. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. We're always obsessed with um, people's writing habits. Obviously, now you, you write full time. But when you're working around a day job like that, apart from when you're noodling on, on post-it notes, how did you? How were you able to break up the day and find the time to write around work? Well, um, my last or second to last admin job, my, my last admin job was as a timetabler at a university, um, which is kind of, is quite seasonal. You're very, very busy for a couple of weeks in the year. And then you have these long stretches of not really having much to do. And one of those long stretches coincided with National Novel, Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo, so I, I wrote an entire book at work at my desk. <laughs> <laughs> um, and no one knew. No one had any idea. Um, it was a terrible book and um, it stayed on my um, hard drive, which I don't tend to do. I usually try and make sure I salvage something. But this one's really bad, so it's never it's never going to see the light of day. Um but yeah, I so I, I don't think I did very well at separating work and writing. I think I did quite a lot of writing at work, which is not really advisable. <laughs> We've all done it. I know I've. But crucially, <laughs> crucially, you finish something and, and certainly finishing yeah. a full length novel for a lot of people, that's an amazing achievement. So that, that gave you the confidence boost to go on and, and do something else? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um I remember the first book I published was um, like nine years ago now. Uh, it's a young adult fantasy um, dystopian book under my pen name. Well, it's my real name, but <laughs> I, I separated my young adult stuff with my thriller books with by pen names because obviously you don't really want teenagers to read the dark themes that are in the psychological horror uh, thriller books. Um, but the first draft of that book was not great at all and it had to be completely rewritten. It took around two years, I think, to rewrite and it, it's still still a very flawed book, but it was at least very entertaining. Um, yeah, and I self-published it and people enjoyed it. So that really gave me such a confidence boost to keep going. Fantastic. That's um that's the blemished which you're writing as as Sarah Dalton. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah. And you said it took you a couple of years. So you're doing draft after draft. Were you were you getting people to give you help or advice? You did an online course, I believe. Yeah, I started this online course and I never finished it. Um, <laughs> I don't know how good it was. To be honest, I found the cheapest one I could find, um, and I did. I did get some feedback that was really useful. Um, uh, I think I was the one who decided that first draft was really terrible. So I, I rewrote it. And then when it was a bit closer, I, I got some editorial help from a publisher, a small publisher, and they gave me some really harsh feedback, which was kind of difficult to take at the time, but as, but helped so much in the long run. Um, and then again, another draft, and then I found some beta readers online. So they gave me some feedback. Um, and that was when it was very close to the finished product now. So it was kind of tweaking from then on. So it was, it was a long process, but I learned a lot. And I think it's something writers tend to need to go through on their own to 
to really improve their writing skills. What do you think was the the biggest lesson that you learned from that 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 harsh feedback? Um, make sure that your main character is likable, <laughs> especially <laughs> in something like a young adult dystopian book. I I kind of I lean too far into the sort of um, strong young woman and ended up making her quite violent and a bit nasty. So I had to sort of bring it back so that she um, she was more flawed rather than just plain unlikable. And that's it can be difficult to write likable characters, uh, particularly in psychological thrillers. It's one it's one of those words that. Because, you know, I, I certainly get this in the world of screenplays, which is people say, I'll make them more likable. And actually what they mean is make them more interesting, usually. I, I yeah. Think they don't have to be nice. They don't have to be all peaches and cream. No, they no, just no. have. They just need to be less than one note, I think. And that's, some. Um, yeah. That's you know, so I mean, so many of our favourite characters are villains, but they have facets to them that, you know, they have, they're, they're not all just uh, uh, a black hat bad guy. So uh, Definitely, um, yeah. 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 That's something I like about psychological thrillers because you can make all the characters grey, the heroes, the villains, everyone. They can all have these sort of grey facets to their character rather than um, here's the hero, here's the villain. Um, this is the person you root for, this is the person you hate. It's, um, it's more true to life, I think, when you, when you add those grey areas in absolutely and of course studying psychology will give you a bit of insight into this we had nick finley on the show recently he's also studied and teaches psychology would would you recommend writers get at least a sort of a grounding in in psychology uh, before they start writing possibly i think if you want to write about specific um things like um antisocial personality disorder for instance we write about a lot of sociopaths, which comes under that bracket. Yeah. And there's sort of a, there are a few misconceptions, I think, about who sociopaths are. And even I, I've had, I obviously studied at an undergraduate level. And even I've kind of had to change the way I, I think about um, something like sociopath because this, this, the research changes all the time. And what I learned at university isn't quite as relevant now as it was then and and things have changed. So, yeah, I think it's really useful to at least do a lot of research if you can Um, and maybe look out some online psychology courses. I think it's something I could even do now, to be honest, (laughs) because obviously I I would need a refresher if I was going to um, write about something very specific. So definitely... I do think that something like an undergraduate degree really does just give you like a big um, blanket kind of knowledge of things. Uh, It's not going to be much about people's um, individual behaviours and mannerisms. It's going to be very much more of an overview of the entire um, psychology course. So yes and no. I think that was a slightly rambling answer Yes and no is the is the answer to that question. <laughs> Excellent stuff. I saw somewhere that you mentioned earlier that you, you don't plan ahead and also saw somewhere that you write in notebooks first. Is that something that you still do? I write an outline in, in my notebook first, usually, yes. Um, for some reason, just writing down bullet points 
read to me. I kind of, um, I imagine the whole book like it would be a movie and I just bullet point every single plot point that I think would be important. Just, you know, maybe only 500 words or something like that. It's it's a very rough outline. And then I can either move on to breaking it down into chapters or if I feel like I I just want to start writing and then I can start writing and come back to that outline and rework it a bit, um, make it a bit more structured. Uh, so... Yeah, there's something about just writing things down by hand. Just mm. seems to move faster for me. Mm. I've tried Scrivener and I've tried a few different programs where you have those little note cards and the character backgrounds, and I just it's just too organised for me. I think I'm just more <laughs> of a chaotic kind of messy <laughs> outliner um, who just I just like to scribble things down basically and try and work it out in my mind as I'm going along. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. Does they does there come a point? Have you recognized a point now where you've got enough scribbling and you go, okay, I've got a novel here, I've got a story, now I can start writing a first draft. Do you do you recognize what point that is and what are those kind of markers? Definitely. I think as as long as I'm I know the beginning, the middle, the end, and um the twist, because obviously psychological thriller, it's got to have some sort of twist, um, then I can start. And sometimes if I'm writing a book that has more of a whodunit kind of mystery style to it, then I'll actually work through the outline and come to the end and then write like five or six different endings. Um, Just, again, just bullet points, like different ways you can you can explain what's been happening. And then as I write the first draft, I'll just try not to think about the ending. And right at the end, I'll just decide which feels most organic and put that in. And hopefully if I'm surprising myself, then I'm surprising some readers. That's the theory anyway. (laughs) No, that's great. I love that. I absolutely love that. The other thing, of course, being an indie author, hugely successful indie author, you only answer all to yourself as well. So you're not feeling the pressure of, do you set yourself deadlines or do you just sort of publish a cake, got a book, let's get it out there? A bit of both, I think, for me. Um, it, It really depends on how I'm feeling about my work at the time last year I somehow just managed to get my head down and just write lots and lots of words um I think I I drafted and finished two books and they're both have come out this year but the beginning of this year has been extremely unfocused for me I started one book I tried to give myself a deadline I couldn't finish it so I've started another book and now I'm I'm sort of trying to decide whether to give myself a deadline or to just see how it goes. So I would prefer to be the kind of person who works towards a deadline. And I I want to be, (laughs) but I do struggle. Sometimes I find them very, very motivating. I've worked with um, a publisher a couple of years ago and I was the kind of person at school who would have their homework done the night they were given it. I do not like being late for anything. (laughs) So when I had those deadlines, everything was finished, you know, like two or three weeks before the deadline was due because 
I'm just I'm just that kind of mm. anxious person. I have to make sure I make meet my deadlines. But when it's actually me giving myself a deadline, it's it's very very different. I know that I can just say no. I'm not doing that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. This is normally the part of the interview where we say, what's coming next? So can you tell us or is that still a bit up in the air? Yeah. Um, well, Stolen Girl is coming out in September. Um, I, I haven't actually given myself a publication date for Stolen Girl yet. So um, maybe just keep an eye on my social media. Um and then I, right now I'm working on a book that I think will come out early next year. Um, it's very, very early days, so I can't really say much about that. Um, but I will obviously put as much information as I can on social media when when I do have more of an idea, and hopefully I'll get this deadline <laughs> sorted. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Where can folks find you online, Sarah? Oh, I'm pretty much everywhere. Um, Facebook, Instagram. I recently started TikTok. Right. So you can find me on TikTok and um, Twitter as well. I um, tend to be on Instagram the most because I find it quite an addictive <laughs> platform. <laughs> so if you ever want to, if anyone wants to reach out, that's probably the best place to find me. Wonderful stuff. We'll put links to those in the show notes. Sarah, thank you so much for speaking to us today. We really enjoyed it. And best of luck uh, with with uh, Silent Child and Stolen Girl, uh, both uh, mm-hmm. amazing duo. Available, well, they're available now in audio, and you say possibly yeah. paperback and uh, ebooks in in September. So yes. uh, keep an eye out yes, for that. Thank so, you very much. Wonderful. Thank you so thank much. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure. Speak to you again <laughs> soon. Bye bye. Bye. Do you know what really struck me about about Sarah, which was incredible, and her success that she's had? You know, it's just kind of like just on her website, it just has a little kind of thing at the bottom saying "million selling author," and then the fact that she's self published, and she, and this has all happened like on her own on her own watch on her own ship. I think that's an absolutely incredible achievement. And she's she's so cool. She's just so. There's no show off is show is showing off yeah. of Sarah. There's no boasting. She's just. I just write the books and you know, and she yeah. you know really works hard on the writing. Really works hard. But there's, you know, she is the most self-effacing, regular, normal person, and it's lovely. It's so lovely and wonderfully um, yeah, unassuming, isn't great. she? And and yes, but that's the, the word. Thank the you. question. <laughs> well, the question that I was I was curious with is that often. Um, I mean, we've interviewed lots of authors, lots of self-published authors who are multi-million selling authors, million selling authors. You've sold half a million, 300,000. I mean, crazy, wonderful numbers. But often you see this trait in them, which is they're these kind of like absolutely like focused, like crazy on the marketing, um, you know, very, very, you know, when it comes to things like deadlines, for example, it's like they're on it, they're writing a book, you know, in a month or two. Um, and yet Sarah's so laid back. I was thinking, wow, this is incredible. I mean, there's hope for everyone else, right? There's hope for all of us that <laughs> maybe don't like have that drive or fascination with marketing. And I know, I think I speak for the majority of self-published authors out there. I don't know that many. I mean, most people who love marketing go and get a marketing job. They get into marketing because that's their passion. Mm-hmm. Most authors kind of see marketing as a you know, necessary evil in some cases or a means to an end or a thing they wish they didn't have to do. Um, But there's hope because it seems like Sarah's success has really come 
like a lot from the huge amount of support she's had from Audible. Would I be right? Yeah, I think so. I think that was certainly the breakthrough breakthrough for her. But, you know, like I say, she is unassuming. I think her focus is on the writing. And I think that should be the primary focus for any author because you can do all the marketing you want. But if the book isn't up to scratch, if the book isn't as good as you can possibly make it, then your odds of breaking through and selling those kind of quantities are much diminished. So, you know, it was um, uh, from, you know, and, and from looking at Sarah's blogs and everything else there's a you know big focus on on getting the writing right and making it work you know and i think let's talk about writing by hand in notebooks because yeah this is my big big my big breakthrough this year uh it's what i've been doing and it's so there is i guarantee a direct hotline from the brain to the hand to the pen and weirdly just this week i bought a new book and it's a story of tom mankowitz who's one of who's one of my favorite screenwriters he's hollywood royalty he's his dad was um his dad was joseph l mankowitz who did guys and dolls and and uh cleopatra and stuff like that and tom wrote some of my favorite movies the first two superman movies a whole bunch of bond movies and stuff like that and he became a script doctor and i opened it at a random page which i've lost and i couldn't find before the show but he was saying oh he writes all these screenplays freehand in a notebook writes them all in a notebook first and then types them up on an old i mean he's passed away now but he typed them all up on an old typewriter the whole thing notebooks brain hotline pen yeah it's really working for me nothing goes on the screen now until it's seen some ink first you know so yeah in fact if i'm going to delve back into our audio library mark that we have on the academy which has basically got many of the clips of the you know specific things we talked about and i'm going to search mm. for notebooks and handwriting because i know that we talked about it really early on didn't we in the, even yeah. in the first year and and it's funny because i know a lot of authors that also do it and 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 like you i have i mean i've always been here it is my notebook my bullet journal in fact um i've always been a big writer an ink or pencil writer and yeah i i finding more and more i've got i've got pages and pages through my current journal which is integrated with my life i'm going to do some stuff in the academy about how to kind of create a writer's journal with bullet, using bullet journaling specifically because a lot of people are being like it's changing my life i'm getting all these kind of fun messages from people but um you know i, I I've, I've got like just drawings diagrams spider diagrams plot points scattered throughout this whole book but completely indexed so i can find everything and that's one of the big tips about using anything. Like if you don't want to Index, use your own book, yeah. indexing it, it's like genius. It's like, why didn't anyone think of that with journaling? Yeah. Um, but to be honest, it's, it, there is, I think, you know, what's happening, Mark, this is my, this is my kind of take on it. I think that we've all become so screenified, if I can use that word so boldly, and that we no, actually, can't. Ad- I can't, okay. <laughs> <laughs> actually we've become so, I'm going to say anyway, screenified because we we spend so much of our life now with screens. I mean, comp- I mean, I'm looking at a screen right now. Um, and it, when I finish this podcast, I'll be picking up my phone and checking on my screen. And then, you know, when we go and watch our favorite shows, we're watching a screen. And there's just so much screen. Even my even my Apple Watch, for goodness sakes, screen now. I mean, <laughs> everything's a screen. So I think there's this rebellion or a, a desperate need to counter that but also it's it's also rediscovering the beauty of the written word there's something handwritten word there's something magical about that and i think we're going to see a bit of a it's a bit like going back to vinyl in a way isn't it i guess we're going to see a bit of a swing back to handwritten maybe and things. i mean what what worries me is if you if you do 
go back and dig out a clip of us talking. I, I bet it's me poo-pooing the yeah. idea and saying, "No, nah, I get it straight on the screen." <laughs> I don't think it's you did, but screen. you were definitely you were definitely a screen. <laughs> you were definitely that. You know, it was hands-on keyboards, wasn't it? So. Well, I was. Um, I mean, back then I, I was writing on my commute. So I, you know, a laptop is it's easier to write on a commute on a with. I mean, a notebook. You know, you've got oh, can you imagine like it'd be a little worse than yeah, yeah, like like spider scroll, wouldn't it? By the end of the, it'd yeah, be like yeah. like your your whole book would be encrypted though. No one else would be able to understand what, exactly, what you'd written. Yeah. So it's a security. Not, not even me. <laughs> um, but now, I mean, the thing is, where, where you're doing spider diagrams and and stuff like that, I I am. I mean, here's one of them. Uh, I'll hold it far away from the screen. Yeah, 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 um, for but sure. But it's, uh, you know, it's just pages just and pages. Just tons of and notes, pages. yeah. And it's 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 me essentially writing a very rough draft of the book. And I will sit down at the desk and I will know what the problem will be for the day. And it will be, well, how do we get her out of this situation? And I will literally write the words, and I'm using the word literally correctly there, because I will literally go, <laughs> how do we get her out of this situation? Well, maybe we could do this. Oh, that's yeah. And I have a conversation with myself. I mean, if anyone stumbles across these after I pop my clogs, you're going to think I'm completely off, off my chump. But it is that thing of it just getting the cogs whirring. And then before I know it, I'm actually writing prose and and i give myself you know i scrub stuff out or i you know go back and it, it's it's it, it, i i just keep going i just keep going make mistakes and then what goes on the screen is me taking that translating it and turning it into something that looks vaguely like a novel um yeah so yeah as an aside i think because there's so much around using notebooks and using this new form of journaling bullet journaling which i'm which i've been doing and love for a few years i think we should probably whack a joint course together on the academy mark because i think a lot of people are going to be really fascinated in how to do it a lot of people there's a lot of stuff about oh this is a great concept but actually being able to see some pages of our journals and um and do a course around it, i think it'd be quite fun to do mm. yeah i know um i well we'll do it on social media at the end but i know people that's come up in the craft in your life coaching session. It has. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's also, so let's talk about something that fascinated me as well. Never heard of this before. The idea of a cast within an audiobook. I mean, I, I was always under the assumption that you hire your voice actor and, and they narrate the book basically. And sometimes they do, ex, you know, like in our book, book back to reality, absolutely brilliant. You know, had different voices for all the characters, but mm. This is something you said you've seen before with um, having yeah. actors come in. Yeah. Well, funny enough, one of the first examples I ever saw of it was with Paul Torday's Salmon Fishing in the Yemen. And we had Piers Torday oh. on a few weeks ago. Uh, and for Paul's book, there were very clear point of view chapters. So this chapter would be this character's point of view. The next chapter would be another character's point of view. And they were men and women. So the idea, they got three, maybe four actors in to do those separate point of view voices. Now, not every publisher is going to do this for every book. Um, Paul's book was a big purchase for Orion, you know, big advance and everything, and they're making a big hoo-ha about it. So the idea was, okay, let's get some budget, get some actors in. And that's clearly what's happened with Sarah's book. I mean, you don't get, you know, cast members of Downton Abbey <laughs> cheap. You know, no. they're going to be above the base rate that you might normally get for an equity contract. You know, so, yeah, that's um, kind of a Hollywood budget almost for an audiobook, isn't it? In some ways. Well, let's let's talk. Let's let's go through some other examples. You want you want to talk about Hollywood budgets? I mean, one of the biggest ones recently, Audible is doing a Sandman adaptation. So that's Neil Gaiman's comic book 
as an audio book. Right? Wow. So that for that for a start is whoa. And it's basically like a radio drama adaptation. Adaptation. So that, this is the kind of thing that maybe you're thinking of that radio drama. Here's some of the cast. So you've got Neil Gaiman narrating as the book, essentially, but you've also got Riz Ahmed, Kat Dennings, Taryn Edgerton, James McAvoy, Samantha Morton, Andy Serkis, Michael Sheen. What? I mean, uh, yeah, who's yeah. That? who's who? <laughs> Andy really? Circus, can you imagine Andy getting him as on your on your audiobook? Uh, you know, I mean, Unbelievable. You know, just incredible, absolutely brilliant. So that's that's really top tier. Neil Gaiman gets a Hollywood cast kind of thing. Um, but then you look at something like, I mean, um, Daisy Jones and the Six, and we spoke to the author of that on the previous podcast. Uh, that's a book where um, it reads like extracts from uh, biography or is fiction, but it reads so you have a character talking essentially directly to the reader to, you know in a memoir kind of style so that that's one that had well six i think six or maybe seven different voices um more recently there was a stephen king short story anthology skeleton crew so again oh, i love in- skeleton crew that was one well, of the first stephen king books i ever read well, listen, listen to this. This is quite a recent audiobook uh, adaptation. So short story. So they've got a different reader in for every short story. So you've got Matthew Broderick, uh, Michael C. Hall, Paul Giamatti, Will Patton, David Morse, you know, and many, many more big, big names. Um, so, yeah, it is something that's becoming increasingly common. I mean, there's still, you know, the single narrator thing some people really like that they prefer it and if you've got a great actor who can do you know those intonations and accents i mean like i was saying with candida gubbins who reads my books um just incredible with just a slight change in her tone she's suddenly it's a completely different character speaking so great narrators are just fantastic at at that so um so yeah it's uh it is but it is something that as you know, the competition for your attention span increases, you know, get, getting a cast in like that Sandman thing, Audible are going to make a very, very big deal of that. So yeah. it, it almost feels like we're moving into a new era mark here, aren't we? It feels like, I mean, when, when you get audiobooks on that kind of scale, I almost feel they need to be called something bigger than just an, I mean, not just an audiobook, but something that is kind of, I, I don't know what it might be called, but it feels like it's somewhere between what we think of as a traditional audiobook and something that kind of Netflix might do visually is kind of somewhere mm. in the middle there. It'd be very interesting to see if this becomes a new thing and whether these books will become like premium audiobooks. But Skeleton Crew, wasn't that the book? I know it was a book of short stories, wasn't it? Wasn't that the book that had the very original story of The Green Mile in it? Or am I getting mixed up with Stephen King books? No, The Green, the green Mile the green mile was, a, was first serialised. Uh, I was a bookseller when this happened, and yeah. it was uh, Malcolm Edwards at Orion, funny enough, who convinced Stephen King to do this, as <laughs> I understand the story. He said, why don't you do a Dickens-style serialization? So each one was released. I think what – I'm trying to remember what the interval was. I don't think it was one a week, but it was like one a month or something like that, and it was in six parts, the Green Mile. And when – Stephen King started it. He didn't know the ending, I don't think. So it was, mm. you know, there was a lot of, you know, but um, yeah, that maybe was, it was first the, maybe it was Maybe I'm thinking of Lawnmower Man. That what There was a short story that Steve, there's people screaming down the podcast at us right now. But <laughs> I, I remember reading a short story and then I remember, I think it was Lawnmower Man with Arnie Schwartz. I think 
if, if I'm even right with that, obviously my, my, my memory, but I do remember reading a short story. I think it was in, in Skeleton Crew. Maybe someone can email us and tell us, well, no, put it on Facebook or Twitter. What was that story that was in one of Stephen King's and uh, like short story books that then went on to become a major Hollywood movie? I think it was Lawnmower Man, but, um, anyway, we digress. We go, there's a little trivia for the week. The Mist. The Mist. Yeah. The Mist was in Lawnmower Man and that was a movie. Not not one for uh, the family at Christmas. <laughs> no, no, as, as many of Mr. King's books aren't. Um, absolutely brilliant. One of the other things that I found fascinating about Sarah is it was really good for her to verbalize and say this out loud because we always love it when people are so honest as authors. It's like, it's so important to get feedback and know that the feedback might be quite hard. It might cut you. You might have to sit there for a few weeks simmering or, you know, patching up your wounds. But it really feels like a lot of her success has, be- has happened because she was willing to take the feedback, sit with it, and then take it on board. And she was always reaching out for people to give her feedback. And I think that's really one of those kind of, if we if we talk about secret sources of bestseller writers, I think people who are willing to actually listen to others take on either take on board or at least you know hear what they have to say can only help us grow as writers absolutely i think that again calls back to sarah's unassuming nature you know she's um not going to just bang out one draft and hope that's good enough you know she's somebody who strikes me who does the due diligence with with her writing and i think the, the quote that i love from her was she says if i'm surprising myself i surprise the reader and you know mm, i love that she, She's thinking of the reader all the way through, and this is um, this is something we can sometimes lose sight of. So uh, yeah. she did say she was the kind of student also who, who when was given homework, did it that night. I was not that student. Um, no, but, so most people aren't actually. Most people love a deadline because it means they remember when they have to do it, i.e. the night yeah, before. The night before. Yeah, with, <laughs> with a can of Red Bull or coffee. Um and I mean, some, some, again, some really beautiful kind of humanity moments in that interview where she talked about, um, you know, she wrote a book at work and she mentioned it. Like, I think, I, I think there's, I think there's a, um, a, a Twitter, Facebook or email conversation. Did you write a book at work? Let us know, obviously, if you can. Um, but I think it's, it's really interesting that, you know, that's how her career started. A lot of people, not that I, well, you know, recommend it because it can obviously be very dangerous for your career, or maybe very well, positive for your career if your career depend, is becoming. It depends. A writer. Yeah. I mean, it's. Um, I mean, I wrote the first draft of a play on the night shift at Waterstones in Wimbledon. Now, Waterstones Wimbledon is a two-story shop, and I used to do the late shift quite a bit. Uh, and it was one of those stores that unless you went to the back of the shop, you didn't realise there were stairs. So you could go the whole evening and two people would come upstairs. You know, right. it was the loneliest shift ever. What did you do? So, what, what what does a night shift at Waterstones entail? Are you restocking Well, we were open. We, no, we were open till nine o'clock, you know. Oh, okay. Because we're central London. There's a train station right there. You know, you, you could sell books uh, till till very, very late. So, yeah, I'd be, I'd be you know, on the late shift sit, sitting there waiting for customers who never came. But, you know, whoop, get, actually, that was a notebook situation I, i'd whip the notebook out there because you can't exactly get your laptop no, no fact, i don't think i don't think i had a laptop then that's how long ago that yeah. was yeah but you um, know what that's so brilliant to be writing a book in a bookshop it's a bit like you know going to the library to write but what an inspiring place to write it, it depends who you work for you see there are some companies that uh, and this is i think this is very if you're working for a big mega corporation 
don't do this because they might lay claim on it. Do you remember? Do you remember? Oh, do, you remember yeah. Bra- do you remember Brat Stoles? Right, you remember Brats, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Brat Stoles? Yeah, I remember the Brat Stoles that, that had those big pouty lips and oh yeah, they they came out. And they knocked Barbie for six. This oh, yeah. is a, there's a there's a very good show on Netflix called um, The Toys That Made Us, and there's a whole episode about Barbie, which is absolutely fascinating. <laughs> and uh, and brats were like the number one toy uh, for for doll fans. You know, yeah. they, it was just I remember blew my Barbie daughter went the through the phase. Yeah, but what they discovered was that the person who designed the brats used to work for Mattel. And designed them in their spare time no. while working at Mattel. Mattel found that out and said. We'll have that. Thank, Thank you, very you very much. Thank you very much. Intellectual buried, property, yeah. Buried brats. Barbie was everywhere. So, I mean, I, wow. I don't think... I mean, I used to I used to write with, um, you know, obviously my lunch break at Orion. Uh, but, yeah, and you know, that's... I mean, that's, that's in my okay, own spare right? time. That's yeah. your spare yeah. time, yeah. No, it's a very... I mean, it's a really interesting one because it also, for me, what it brings up is COVID and working at home. And mm. how does how does a writer... How does a writer kind of manage that? Because I know one of the biggest challenges for employers is they're worried that their their staff are like not actually putting in the hours. Or, but then there is a degree of flexibility. I mean, we both work from home now. I mean, I've worked from home for nearly goodness me, twenty five years, Mark. This year, twenty five years I've worked from home, but working for myself. So you know, if I decide to write in the middle of the day, that's on me. But but also having run technology companies and startups and things, this idea of intellectual property, it's a very common thing. You get a contract that says if you're working full time, anything you create, you know, is is our ownership. But it's a very gray line when you're working at home. It's like, well, do you have to clock out and say, right, it's five o'clock. I'm now pressed the button. I've logged out of my work account and anything I do from now on is my time. We're going to see some really interesting things developing around this because of the fact that COVID has really forced this idea of home working upon so many people. But yeah, writing books. I mean, what if you... I guess because a book is so different from what most people probably do for their day job. But yeah, if you work for a publisher, right? What would happen yes. there? But publishers generally don't create the content. That's they, true, actually. They yeah. they essentially lease the content for a number of years. Yeah, you know. If it, the worst that could probably it. happen is they'd say, "Right, you have to sign that book to us because it's so good. We we want claim on publishing that book," which is a good problem to have in some ways. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, brilliant. Yeah. Love but it. No, there's, but, the, there's the, they, they don't do that. No, have you written a book at work though? If you have, um, tell us about it uh, if you can. We'd love to hear those stories around that. It's a really good little conversation topic. Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting was around. Um, she talked about the confidence boost that that she got around feedback. It's something that we don't often hear about. Like often you think it's the opposite, right? It's usually knocking you down because feedback is always trying to improve something. So it's always usually telling you what you can do, what's wrong, and what you can do to change it and make it better. That's 95% of all feedback. But getting those nuggets where people actually say, you know what, this is really good. Like when she wrote her mm. first story and, and it got published, that kind of feedback can be huge for an author's confidence. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I edit stuff for clients and I'm very aware that you you can't just pick out the problems. You've got to highlight the good stuff. And there is always good stuff. Anyone who's, you know, even if it's their first attempt at writing prose, you'll see they've got the hang of this. They've got this. You know, there's a bit. You you'll start to see their strengths and say, okay, you're good with dialogue. Lean into that. You know, you've got to learn how to. You know, maybe work on this, that, and the other better. But yeah, this is your strength. Great. So yeah, any anything like that is a huge boost. I I love it as well. Whenever I get feedback, I'm very needy. 
Well, we all are, Mark. I mean, <laughs> do you know what? It's so important because you're pouring your heart and soul into it. It does remind yeah. me of that old parent adage, which is catch your kids doing something right. Because mm. we're always very good at catching them doing something wrong. And it's like, you know, so for editors, Amanda should be, you know, catch catch your author doing writing something well and mm. pointing that out in a different color, maybe. To every, every editor I, I've worked with has done that with yeah. me. They're, you yeah. know, the best editors do that. They, they, will, they will point out the good stuff and, and tell you when what made them laugh, what made them cry, that sort of thing. It's great. And now talking about boosting people's confidence, we've got some brilliant wins this week, haven't we, Mark? Yeah, it's been it's been uh, really really good stuff uh, over on the academy, for example. So we've got so Kerry Oman, just a small, just let's start small and work up, shall we? Let's start small and work up. So Kerry Oman uh, on the academy today is the third day in a row that I've banked words. I'm officially calling it a streak, and my next goal is to hit double digits. I know that's a really small start, but it can only get. Yes, absolutely can, that is and, and you know people always talk about these things being small wins but if you've if you know just writing three days in a row for many people i know it did with me when i was starting out it was hard to even get three days in a row and that's why we set up the 200 word challenge so congratulations Kerry, and it's absolutely a streak the beauty of that is you've done three she's now going for double digits right so it's it's all about just you know looking at that getting to that you know milestone and then looking at what you can achieve next and before you know it you'll be at 20 days 30 days 50 days and in some cases we've seen people go into someone's coming up to their first thousand day streak it's coming in the next year possibly we'll, we'll update you on that if it happens but uh, that's great so congratulations <laughs> kerry yes uh let's go to the other end of the the the, uh, the scale so we've got sadie payers uh, on the academy she's typed the end she said, my goal was 100, 110,000 words. It ca- I came in just under 105,000 words one day after my target date, champagne, this weekend. So big congrats to you, Sadie. You know, and this is it. This is the joy of the Academy is seeing people hit those targets and do so incredibly well. And it's just an, you know, an absolute joy. Um, so yeah, big congrats to you, Sadie. Yeah, brilliant stuff, Sadie. And she's worked so hard to get to that point as well. And you know, part of the the benefit of being part of this kind of writing group is you get to celebrate it. So so many people out there who, who you know finish their first draft, and it's like, right, okay, <sighs> what next? And it's just you have to stop, and you have to you have to have a group of people to celebrate and cheer cheer you onto the next stage. Otherwise you don't recognize the value of that moment of just how important and how much work and effort, blood, sweat, and tears you put into that. So Mm. thank you so much for reporting that, Sadie, and congratulations. Can't wait to read the second draft. Over on the BXP team on Facebook, this is heartbreaking. This is heartbreaking. Andrew Chapman, uh, he says, I woke up this morning with a sense of dread in my heart. I realized, and it was my first waking thought, that I hadn't written yesterday. My writing streak is dead. And this is this is the heartbreaking no. bit. 222 days of writing. That's his oh. streak. He he he'd written ninety-eight thousand uh and fifty-nine words. So he's just shy of a hundred thousand words. Oh. But you know, it's not always about the streak, Andrew. You know, you can have a day off. Have a day off, mate. So, I think two 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 could be his magic number. There's something interesting about that number. But also, here's the thing. Okay, Andy, you're back to zero. But, but 
never miss two days running. That's that's the that's that's the that's yes. the thing. If you you will before you know it, get past that two two two, and you'll smash it, and you'll have all those extra words. And the irony is, is you'll only have missed one day. Yeah. Um, but two 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 is phenomenal. I mean, let's just celebrate that. I mean, I know it's a heartbreaking. I've never done that. Two 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 in yeah. my yeah. wildest dreams. <laughs> So congratulations. Let's celebrate what you've achieved, Andy, and all those wonderful words that haven't disappeared, even though the streak has ended. Those words are there. You get to bank those. So brilliant. Absolutely. Well done. Absolutely. Kimberly B on the Academy says she's discovered the magic of the bullet journal. Uh, this is totally a little mini win, she says, but posting it anyway, because it's what has gotten my writing life back on track after over a month long lull. She said, I tried Mark D's suggestion uh, in the last coaching session to use a bullet journal to shape life habits and find writing time. My life has been maddeningly busy since July, so I knew I desperately needed something to change, but was sceptical anything would work. But after quietly testing it out for a couple of weeks, it's worked wonders for me. Just last week, I wrote 5,000 words, up from zero in previous weeks. Yes, it does admittedly require me to get up at the absolute crack of dawn, but it's helped me discover my creativity is at its best first thing in the morning. Mine too, Kimberly. And also has helped me achieve other life goals, even beyond writing. So it's here to stay. Thanks to Mark DeVoe for that insight. Who knew it would be so impactful for me? Cheers to finding what works for you. Wow. How about that? that absolutely love that. I love That's, it. Absolutely love it. It's amazing, isn't it? Something yeah. so simple. But there is a technique and a way to use a bullet journal well. And online, you'll find a ton of stuff about people using bullet journals just to organize their life. But what I'm focusing on in the academy is how you use a bullet journal as a writer, which isn't out there much. So, um, yeah, it warms my heart, Kimberly. Thank you so much for reporting that back. And, um, yeah, that's what it's all about, life-changing moments and that sometimes, you know, so many people are struggling with their writing and they think of it as this just mammoth challenge that they've got ahead of them of trying to work out how they write. Let me tell everyone right now, it's never a mammoth challenge. It's a small, tiny tweak that you start one day and you manage to carry it on the next day and the next day. And, and that's how your writing career starts. You look back and you think, yeah, it was all because of those little tweaks I'm in. So um, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I'm really, really pleased to hear that. Got more as well. Got Heather Goldsmith, uh, who on the Academy said, I spent two whole hours editing my novel, Living Large, today. The win was that I went into the zone and was shocked to see that two hours had gone by. I didn't realise that could happen in editing. I've been spending time imagining myself enjoying editing, as in the way Mark D encouraged us to. I imagine feeling excited about it as I was struggling to like it at all. Today was very rewarding and helped me see there is value in the imagining game he's been encouraged us to indulge in. What's this imagining game, Mr. D? Tell us. Is this, is this <laughs> oh, one of your secret sources? Of, no, I, I coach on this in the academy. We do, a, we do a lot of work around this to try and help people break through their the challenges that they've got and the percept a lot of people have a real challenge with editing they see it as a real nemesis mm. and i've come up with some techniques as to how people can like literally flip it over to the point where as you've just seen from that that response which is brilliant to hear um that that heather could almost get to a point where she actually starts to enjoy editing having it having had it been such a big thing in her life to have to kind of like oh it's like oh it's the editing stage what if because mm. i said to her what if you could potentially even down the line, see you actually start to enjoy it. And so it's about shifting our perceptions on what the stories we tell ourselves about writing, the stories we tell ourselves about editing, where there's always a way to love something. And the more that we love it, the better writers we can ultimately be. So yeah, 
lots more of that in the academy, but too much to go into detail here. <laughs> Wonderful. And I love I love Heather's thing about the zone. I know yeah. the zone. It's it's like it's traveling. A special it's place. Like, yeah, isn't it? It's like yeah, it's a special place. place. Over on Twitter, uh, we got a lovely note from Andrea J. Skinner, who is at Andrea J. Skinner, uh, who is a regular 200 words a day contributor. So look for the hashtag 200 words a day. Uh, Andrea said, my Thursday, I did three loads of laundry before work, had a workout, a 10-minute writing exercise, a full day at the day job, and wrote 992 words on my commute. Can I get a gold star? Yes, Andrea, you can. You can have the biggest gold star. That I is. think that massive is, um, gold yeah. star and possibly yeah. even a gold pencil which one of the animates <laughs> said they once got from one of their teachers in kindergarten, which started them on their writing journey. So that is phenomenal. Wow. Mm. And uh, we've got a last of all, but by no means least. And, you know, we're coming up to five years of the podcast soon. And this is this is um, from at Sci-Fi Mike Morris, which is the alter ego of our friend Mike Shackle, uh, who's, you know, a brilliant fantasy author published by Gollance. And Mike says, I've just been reading old blog posts from back when I listened to an episode of the bestseller experiment that literally changed my life. What an amazing and crazy five years it's been. And do you know what episode that was? Can you recall that? Um, I, was it Joe Abercrombie? <laughs> it was Joe oh, Abercrombie. Oh, <laughs> Love it. So, yeah, he listened to you. I think Mike was on the verge. We've had Mike on uh, Deep Dive. So uh, or, uh, I'll, put, I'll find it and put a link in the show notes. And he, he said he was on the verge of packing it in. And I he heard Joe that. and he's like, no, I'm going to have another go at this. And, you know, three books with Golance and a fantastic career. And also as an indie author as well, as he writes as Mike Morris, science fiction stuff. Um, absolutely brilliant. So, uh, yeah, it's um, heartwarming to hear that, hear oh, that kind of thing. Absolutely It's such a brilliant story, Mike, and thank you so much for sharing. And congratulations on all the amazing success that you've had, um, inspiring everyone out there. So absolutely fantastic. Brilliant well, stuff. Folks, if you want to get in touch on social media, drop us a line. On Facebook, we are Bestseller Experiment. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at Bestseller XP. Please subscribe rate, review, leave a star rating wherever you get your uh, podcast from. These things always make a huge difference. Big thank you as always to our editors, Dave and JD. And uh, yeah, uh, let's let's go. Another writing week, Mr. D. Absolutely. And folks, if you want to get writing, you've heard all the stories. We, we, tell, we tell you this every week. It works. You've got to sign up to the 200 Word Challenge, 200wordchallenge.com and join us to get writing. And if you would love to find out more about what's in the Academy, all this magical stuff that we do in there, um, pop over to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. Uh, applications are open now for October, but there's not many spaces because we are very, very full. So anyway, folks, have a great writing week, Mr. Stay, and I look forward to catching up with you and everyone out in Podland again this time next week. Take care, and it's goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Yeah.